0: I think I scared Lauren a little this morning when I asked him who's going to preach the same message as John preached last Sunday. You may or may not have noticed his sermon title. It would appear that the context could be similar. We don't really communicate to each other a lot as pastors as to what we're preparing. We or, or don't very often plan on, on certain topics, so we just depend on your prayers and the Lord leading us. So, I you to preach what God has laid on your heart. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can gather before you. We can worship together like this as a body of believers. We're grateful for your written word that you have communicated to us in this way. And that we can today uh, have the freedom and the ability to open your word and hear you speak. And we just pray that you would guide us this morning. Um, and our ears be open to receiving what you have for us and bless brother lord as he brings this message may I just give him courage to speak what you would have him to speak we pray this in jesus name amen you may be seated
1: greetings in jesus name this morning it's good to be here with you again this morning i am curious now um what john preached i wasn't here last sunday but like Lester said, he told me that, and I was like, <laughs> I mean, it did make me a little nervous. I hope it's not a repeat. But even if it is, um, let God speak through to you anyway. So, yeah, the message title this morning is The Voice of God. And I want to consider this morning how we respond to the voice of God. And as we live out our lives on this earth and serving the Lord, there's many ways that he speaks to us and there's many ways that he asks things of us. A few ways that he speaks to us are through his words, he speaks to us through the example of Jesus Christ and the example he left us as he served mankind here on the earth, he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit and sometimes he speaks to us to, through our fellow man as they speak into our lives. So the question I have for myself and for each one of you here this morning is, do we welcome the voice of God in our lives, our, our ears open, to hear what he has to tell us? So this morning, I want to consider a few men of God in the Old Testament who heard the voice of God and what their responses were. So for the first text, I want to turn to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the first chapter of Jonah and make a few mentions of some of the following chapters and obviously don't have time to to read this whole story, but a very familiar Old Testament prophet that we can learn from as we look at his response to God. So let's start reading Jonah chapter 1 verse 1 at this time. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, son of Amittai saying, "Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me." But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them, unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea, to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said, One, Every one to his fellow, come, let us cast lots, and that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? And what is thy country, and of what people art thou? He said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, which hath made sea and dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm again for us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring it to land, but they could not, for the sea was wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore, they cried unto the Lord, and said, "We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and let lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleases as it pleased thee." So they took up Jonah, cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the lord unto the lord and made vows now the lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up jonah and jonah was in the belly of the fish 3 days and 3 nights so this is the response jonah had as god came and spoke to him and i just want to think about the man jonah for a little bit maybe if we understand his context a little bit we can understand his response, even though it wasn't the best response. The first mention we see of Jonah is in 2 Kings 14.25. In 2 Kings, God used Jonah to also give a message. That message was that Jonah was foretelling that Joash's son, Jeroboam, king of Israel, would reclaim land that had been taken from them. Jeroboam was going to restore land back to the original borders, that were promised to Moses as they were leaving Egypt. So Jonah was the prophet that was foretelling this that was, this would take place. Jonah was from a northern Israeli town called Gath Hefer. And Gath Hefer was in the same vicinity that um, Jesus' hometown was. It was five miles from Nazareth, and it was one mile from Cana. So he grew up most likely in the same general vicinity that Jesus did. And we know from what was said in the New Testament that that area probably didn't have the the highest reputation because they said of Jesus, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So he lived in kind of a backwater, uh, maybe not the best, um, the highest reputation area of Israel. But we see God coming to him here in the opening verse of this book here. And he is asked to go on a mission for God. He is asked to go to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah does not like this mission at all. And one reason that he probably didn't like this was because they were enemies of Israel. If we look at Nineveh a little bit, it was a great, God calls it this great city And he mentions later in the book, we didn't read it, but it says there's 120,000 children in this city. And so to give you a context of that, the population of Syracuse, New York, is approximately 150,000. So probably a little bit bigger than a city like um, Syracuse. It took three days of travel to go through. So this was no small group of people that Jonah was called to preach to was also the capital of Assyria, which were the enemies of the Israelites. The Syrians had harassed Israel for many years. They had persistently harassed them in the 9th century BC, and there was little conflict, I think, at the time of Jonah. But then again, in the 7th century, they came back again, and they were the ones who ultimately did overthrow the children of Israel. The location of the city is... Next to the modern day city of Mosul in Iraq. You may have heard of that city. They were the arch enemies of Israel. But now we see that this city has become so wicked that God is sitting up and taking notice. There was a few times in history where the sin of a place or a city got so bad that God said something has to be done now. Obviously all sin is going to be judged but there was some that seem to rise to a higher level, and we see that in places like Nineveh, we see that in places like Babel, um, Sodom, or a few other examples of that. And many times these people were um, destroyed immediately, like the people of Sodom, they didn't have much warning, but here we see God giving these people a second chance. And that's the one thread we see woven through this story is God is looking for repentance. And he also gives Jonah a second chance later in this story. God is asking Jonah to go to preach a warning message, a message of judgment to his enemies and give them an opportunity to repent. And so as a man of God, what is Jonah's response you would think a man of God would do what God asked him to but instead he does the exact opposite. I don't know if you're familiar with where Tarsus is or not but it is in the exact opposite direction pretty much from Nineveh and very far in the opposite direction. If you're familiar with the Mediterranean Sea um, Joppo is a, is a port city of Israel and Nineveh would be about 500 miles, I think it's northeast. And to get to Tarsus, you go across the Mediterranean, you go past Italy, and it's on getting toward the western edge of Spain. And your next stop would maybe be Washington, D.C. So it's about 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. So he ran as hard as he could away from his mission. It would be similar to God calling a preacher in Columbus, Ohio to go preach in New York City, City, but instead he gets in his car and drives to San Francisco, driving across the country to get away from this mission. So Jonah chooses to disobey the voice of God, and he gets on this ship and sails for Tarshish. But God is still not done with Jonah, and he brings a great storm into his life, into the life of the ship and the sailors, and as the sh- sailors are fighting for their life, Jonah is bedo- below deck sleeping. He's exhausted, apparently, from his journey. He running from God drains energy from your life. It dra- drains life from you, and it blinds you to the needs of those around you. He was seemed to be blind to the fact that there was lo- there was people on the deck above him, fighting for their very existence. Meanwhile, he's laying there sleeping. He's not paying attention to what's happening around him. And as the men fight for their lives, they start to wonder, whose fault is this? Why is this storm upon us? They seem to have some idea that this was a special storm. And so they cast lots and discover that it was Jonah who was the cause of this storm. So Jonah suggests being thrown into the sea, and which they do. And ultimately, this would have been the end of the road for Jonah. But God, like I said before, gives him a second chance. And so for three days, Jonah is taken into the depths of the sea and is in despair. He's swallowed by this great fish. And as it was a place of despair for him, it also turned out to be... Um, his life had saved his life. And Jesus uses Jonah as an example when he talks about being in the grave for three days. You know, if we look at this, there's a warning for us in Jonah's experience. You know, sometimes we are called to a very difficult task, something we really don't want to do. But walking away from that leads to a place of despair and destruction. You know, for a minute, it might have seemed to Jonah that his plan was working. He went to Joppa. He found a ship that was headed in the right direction. All the doors were opening for him. It seemed like everything was going fine. But open doors are not always, are not in itself an indicator of God's will. God's will isn't always the easiest thing to do. The, the will of God calls us to, first of all, abandon ourselves and be filled with Christ. And Jesus teaches us this principle in Matthew 16. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. Jonah, in an effort to save his life, was in danger of losing his life. The Apostle Paul's a, a, a man that demonstrates for us what Jesus was teaching. He writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me. We must first of all be faithful in in doing what God has already directed us to do. God will not cause us to go against what he has already told us. And he has given us his word so that we might know his heart. And today we have the great privilege of having the Word of God in written form that we can read to, so that we can know the heart of God. And as we live out the will of God that he has given us in his Word, he will continue to direct our lives and we can experience the peace and fulfillment in spite of the hard things that come our way. So moving on, another man I want to look at is another Old Testament prophet in Samuel, book of 1 Samuel, I want to look at um, the prophet Samuel. I won't be reading the first few chapters that open the book, but just in a brief summary, in in Samuel chapter 1, we find um, a woman named Hannah, who was married to Elkanah, and she was without a child, and this caused her deep and utter grief. And she pleaded with God to grant her request of having a son. Not only did she have the heartache of, of being barren, but Elkanah's other wife also tormented her because of this fact. She rubbed that in her face that she did not have a child. She tormented her with this fact. And so, Hannah was in such bitter agony and despair about her situation that when the family went to Shiloh to worship, she went up to the tabernacle to pray alone And Eli, who was there at the time, saw her praying, and because of her quiet prayer, she was just praying without uttering actual words. He thought she was a drunk at the tabernacle. But she explained her situation, and as he heard her story, he promised her that God would answer her prayer. So we see her um, bearing the the boy Samuel, and she had promised God that if he would give her a son— that she would dedicate him to a life of service to the Lord. So after he was um, a young, very young boy, she took him back to Eli, took him back to the tabernacle, and he served Eli there. So I'll read 1 Samuel chapter 3 to, to read this account. 1 Samuel 3, starting at verse 1, I'll read the whole chapter. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And Ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel laid down to sleep. That the Lord called Samuel and said, And he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son, lay down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt speak. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. And that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever. For the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. And Samuel lay until morning, and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. And he said, What is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God, do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me, all the things that he said unto thee. Samuel told him every whit, and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth. Do what seemeth him good. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan, even into Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the words of the Lord. So here we come to chapter 3. And we see Samuel faithfully serving the Lord and serving Eli in the tabernacle. And as one night as he was laying there sleeping, he hears his name being called. And so he jumps and runs to Eli and says, what do you, you know, what do you need? I'm here. And Eli says, I, you know, I didn't call you. And, you know, those of you who are parents probably can relate to this. You know, your child comes running and they saw something or they heard something in your bedroom. And you're like, no, it's fine. I, you know, you're, you're. It's okay, and so Samuel was still young enough that he wasn't aware that this was God is calling him, so this happened a few times, and finally Eli perceives that this is God calling him. And so when the Lord again calls, Samuel invites him to speak, and the Lord lays out the judgment that was to come upon the house of Eli, and so here again we have someone needing to share a message of judgment We didn't read the chapter 2, but if you look through chapter 2, the sons of Eli were very wicked as they served in the temple, in the tabernacle. They were given positions in the tabernacle, and they used those to um, fulfill their own greed and lust. They stole from the people. As the the people were coming in with their sacrifices, the the priests would take uh, a meat hook, and they would pull some of the meat off as it was cooking. But the sons of Eli, they would do this before it was cooked. While it was still raw, they would take their meat hooks and get their portion. And so obviously they were getting more meat because they did it while it was raw. And so they were extorting the people. And if the people pointed out their, their mistake, they would say, well, if you don't give it to us, we will take it by force. And they also preyed upon the women that came to the tabernacle and caused them to do misdeeds, sexual misconduct. And it was just a terrible situation that was going on here at the tabernacle. They were very vile men. And as we think about Samuel working in this environment, Eli had been made aware of this by other people. This had come to his attention, and he scolded his sons, but he did nothing to stop them. He simply scolded them and let them go. And as I looked at um, Samuel's situation, the uh, quote in the bulletin this morning I thought was very fitting, where it talks about it's not being in a different situation, but Christ being in our hearts. Samuel could have let himself be carried away by these men's wickedness. But instead, even as a young man, he was steadfast in serving God where he had called him. And in verse... 1 of chapters 3, we see that it says there was no open vision of the Lord in that day. The word of the Lord was precious, and is it any wonder as the wickedness that was happening in the temple that the word of the Lord had been shut up? But Samuel had some very real fears to face as Eli came and asked what the Lord had told him. Confronting someone with a message like this that is very close can be very difficult, and sometimes it's v- much easier to give someone bad news if they are not close to you. But here Samuel had to give his mentor the bad news. The priest of Israel was being condemned for allowing the house of God to be defiled. Now God had chosen Samuel to deliver the message of judgment. You know, would he run like Jonah and shirk his call, or was he willing to carry out the God the call that God had placed on him? You know, If Samuel was to be the next priest of Israel, God needed to make sure that he was willing to confront wickedness. Samuel could have feared losing his position in the tabernacle. Eli or his sons could have retaliated. It must have been very difficult to deliver such a message to a close friend, someone he had served with for so long. But Samuel didn't hide the word of God from Eli. He shared all that God had given him. God had found a faithful messenger in Samuel. And we see the result of Samuel's faithfulness in the last few verses of chapter 3. Verse 19 says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be the prophet of the Lord. And then verse 21 is such a great verse. It says, And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Here we have a man who was faithful to the Lord. He was willing to listen to the voice of the Lord, and the Lord once again was heard speaking in Shiloh. He was once again heard speaking to the Israelites because of a man's faithfulness and willing to hear his voice. And one thought that struck me as I Contrast of these two stories was also the response of the, those that received the message of judgment. We didn't read the, the response of the, the Ninevite people, but the wicked people of Nineveh responded with great sorrow and repentance. You know, from the king to the very lowest of all that w- lived in Nineveh, were all called to fast and mourn and repent and turn from their wicked ways. That was probably one of the greatest revivals that ever happened as the wicked city of Nineveh repented before the Lord. The king said, you know, the king said he's like, we don't know if God will hear us, but let's at least try. Let's at least repent. Um, they had a heart of repentance, and God was willing to listen to their heart. Contrast that to the priests of Israel. When they were confronted with gross sin and within the leadership in God's house, there was no proclamation to repent no sorrow no mourning for the shame brought upon the house of God but simply said let God do what is good to him you know what a different response and that just challenged me to you know as we receive the word from God to allow to cause us to repent before him so just a few thoughts as we wrap up here today you know how is that for us today how do I respond to the voice of God in my life how do you respond to the voice of God in your life you know there's these are just two examples of of people of God and how they responded to God but there's many others such as Moses Saul and Isaiah and in our humanity we many times struggle to grasp the goodness of God as we face some of these situations in our lives but I hope as we study those that have gone before us that have traveled this road of life that we can be aware, you know, in spite of the challenges we face, that we can overcome and listen to the voice of God as his way is ultimately best for us. As we think about the life of Jonah, how do we respond to hard things? You know, I can imagine to Jonah this mission looked so insurmountable to go to this enemy city who were his enemies of his country and preach to them repentant. You know, we look at, but then we look at Jonah and say, "Why did you do exactly the opposite of what God asked you?" But more often than not, uh, more often times than I'd like to admit, I do the same thing myself. You know, we were just talking this morning about looking at the Word of God and do we do we uh, make changes when we see um, sin mirrored in our in our lives? You know, as we look at Jonah. And Eli's house disobedience to the voice of God brought loss and confusion. But when people opened their hearts to God, it brought healing not only to the people who, who heard the mess who carried the message, but even to those around them. You know, the nation of Israel was heard the voice of the Lord again because Samuel was willing to carry the message of God. As we think about a few thoughts about Samuel, he was a very young man, but he was already keen to hear the voice of God, and he was. Keen to serve those that God had called him to serve. Samuel wasn't sitting there waiting for his big call, but he was serving with Eli in the tabernacle for years before this happened. We see his willingness in the middle of the night to jump up and go to Eli, and that shows his heart of service. You know, I think there's a powerful lesson there for us God doesn't call us to the big things right away or the deeper things of scripture right away but he re- reveals those to us as we prove ourselves in the mundane everyday day things of life and one thing that really stood out to me too as i studied these these two accounts was that god is a gracious god and full of mercy psalms eight says the lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and plenteous of mercy and in verse 10 of the same chapter, it says, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us after our iniquities. And Jonah saw that firsthand as he preached to the city of Nineveh and saw them repent. And then he actually pointed out that that was one of the reasons that he didn't want to go to Nineveh was because of the Lord's mercy, because he knew that God was merciful and he was afraid that these people would repent. And so he, in in the in his heart, was not hoping to see them repent. He didn't want to see God be merciful. But God doesn't take joy from the destruction of, of people or the, even the wicked. What brings joy to the heart of God is there is humility and repentance in the heart of, our, heart of men. God tells us this in Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33 verse 11 says, Say to them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? As we read more of that chapter, chapter in Ezekiel 33, he expounds on that, that he will honor repentance in the unrighteous as we come to him in humility. And as people of God, our hearts should mirror that message too, the message of our Heavenly Father. We shouldn't delight in the destruction of wicked like Jonah was doing. But we need to spread the message of God's mercy and grace. So as we go from here today, uh, may we again renew our commitment to be in tune with the voice of God and allowing ourselves to live in obedience to his voice as we hear it in our lives. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Father, I pray a blessing on the believers that have gathered here today to worship. May their hearts be open to hear your voice. May their ears not be dulled by the noise that arises from the distractions of this world. But I pray, O Lord, that your voice would be precious in their ears. May you grant them strength for the duties that you have called them to. May your power flow through them, and may your kingdom be established. Your will be done on earth as as it is in heaven. We pray this all in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.